0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your guide to news in Chicago and beyond. Take us into your kitchen. What's your stove situation? Electric or gas? Well, what if we told you that cooking on an electric stove was better for the planet? In an effort to fight climate change, environmentalists are pushing for people to switch to electric appliances in their homes. Now, change can be hard, but making the switch just got a little bit easier and cheaper for Chicagoans, thanks to a new ordinance. Wayne Beals is a real estate broker who sells energy efficient homes. He joins us now to break down what you need to know about these homes and why you might want to make the transition, even if it means saying goodbye to your gas stove. Also with us is Karen Weigert, Reset Sustainability Contributor and Director of Loyola University Chicago's Baumart Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility. Karen, The city recently passed an ordinance for new homes and some buildings. What does this ordinance do?
1: Yes, as you said, Chicago just passed the 2022 Chicago Energy Transformation Code. And it's basically the building code that dictates how all new buildings will be constructed in the city of Chicago. Now, part of this is almost routine in the sense that about every three years, Chicago does an adjustment to match the International Energy Conservation Code. Um, It's making buildings more and more efficient as they're built. What's interesting though is Chicago added a couple unique things and for the first time really looked at the equipment and the energy sources to reduce emissions, not just making sure that the building itself is efficient. And part of that is to try to make sure that buildings are now going to be built to be ready for electric appliances.
0: I see. So, And what does it mean to wire a home? Is that what it means to, to make it ready?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what this re- is going to require. It's that new residential homes that might have gas-fired appliances in them will also be required to have the electrical wiring and capacity. So for example, that would make it easier to have an electric stove in the future. If you did want to change and add that electric stove, you don't have to open up your electrical and change it because uh, you might have you know, 120 volts, but for this new appliance, you might need 240, and this ordinance is going to make sure that as that building's constructed, It already has that 240-volt outlet in it so that in the future, if you want to switch to electric, it's easy.
0: I see. So other cities we know have passed outright bans on on gas in new buildings, right? And that's not what's happening here. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. This this started, I think the first one was Berkeley in 2019, but you've even seen New York City where they are banning gas in new buildings. You've seen L.A., which is essentially banning gas appliances. Chicago's taken a different approach where they're requiring that buildings be ready for electrical, but they're not banning the gas. Uh, And these also apply to appliances. So as we're talking about a stove, it might be a closed dryer, it might be a water heater. This also isn't about the heating in your building, which is also typically gas. So Mm -hmm. this is more setting the building up for future transformation.
0: Wayne, let's bring you in here. How do you explain electrification to your clients?
2: Sure. So I think the first thing you need to do is you need to inform people as to why it's important. I think that um, a lot of folks, you know, one thing I want to clear up is, is, is the electric stove isn't what it used to be. I think uh, a lot of people kind of connote electric cooking as inferior to gas, and it's one of the biggest obstacles in the field to sell. Um, but it is important because we can make electricity renewably, and we can't do that with natural gas. So you know if you have the opportunity to put solar panels on your home and benefit from the electricity the electrons that are produced by those panels it's also wise to consider maybe altering your house to be able to take advantage of that as a fuel as opposed to having to bring gas in as well
0: yeah talk more about that the, the ordinance requires new homes to be wired for electric appliances how is it different from someone just taking on the switch
2: themselves sure so if you're uh, the gas stove is, is a great example. So modern electric cooking is typically done with induction ranges. They've been a part of the luxury market for high-end homes for a long time. And and I think that people who are very indoor air quality conscious uh, in tighter new construction homes that don't leak as much air mm-hmm. are really conscious about not burning things inside that indoor air environment, and making sure their air quality is good. So induction ranges provide uh, a very similar cooking experience to gas, and the challenge with them is that they often have an oven that requires more current than the typical wiring in a home would allow. So, mm-hmm. if your home was not wired for this, it would require demolition and electrician. Plastering, yeah, doesn't painting. this
0: increase construction costs
2: uh, during the construction process? Uh, I don't think builders are going to view this as a burden. Um, I think that they're going to. It's going to start a conversation in builders who aren't considering electrification about. Maybe we're heading down that road, and that they should investigate it, and and maybe it accelerates the uptake of this technology.
0: How does the cost not get passed on to the homeowner?
2: Sure. Or so home I think, buyer. I think that when you when you consider that there's already electricity going to the stove, it's just the size of the wire that that goes to it. So okay. so it's not a a lot of added cost. There is some added cost there, but it's very marginal.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about large electrical appliances. To be clear. Um, aren't a lot of those already electric?
2: Um, so if you look at your typical gas stove, you you hook it up to a gas line mm-hmm. and you plug it in, right? And uh, an induction range would have a larger plug and use more current. So you right. just need more wiring and a bigger plug. Uh, they they If you're trying to retrofit it, it is very costly. But if you're doing it in the new construction sense, it, it's, it's very affordable. And so I think what the city's trying to do is get ahead of that because as we kind of move into a clean energy future, we start have to understand that that gas will probably be part of our past. And cooking gas, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, air quality, comfort, safety, mm-hmm. um, you know, even ease of cooking and ease of cleanup. Is inferior to induction cooking, and I think that as the population learns that, they're going to want to transition.
0: Yeah, and we're talking electric dryers too, right? Heaters. Yes,
2: there's condensing dryers are really taking up a lot of uh, a lot of popularity. I mean, what what they do is they basically move heat from inside the building, condense it into the drum, move the moisture into the plumbing system, as opposed to you know when you Walk by a house and you see the steam coming out the side of the house when they're drying clothes, and that's all that heat escaping the building. That's all wasted energy. Yeah, and condensing energy, uh, condensing dryers don't do that. They're they're they use about a third the energy of a normal electric dryer. Wow, and so they do require a different electrical service to them. So it it's important to make sure we wire our houses for those.
0: Yeah, and Karen, I, I want to make sure we understand this. This ordinance, as we've said, it, it just requires homes and buildings to be ready for these appliances. So are homeowners still responsible for purchasing these appliances themselves?
1: Yeah, I think what this ordinance really does is it will make it easier when a homeowner does want to make that change. So when they do want a condensing dryer or they do want induction cooking, their house is already wired for it. So it's simply going to make that choice easier if this ordinance weren't in place. And in fact, today if you want to switch out that stove, you might actually have to call an electrician at that point and have your wall opened up and your electrical redone. Mm -hmm. This is going to prevent that step. So in the future, it's just going to make it easier when people want to make these transitions if they have gas appliances now. Electric in the future, will just be a simple step.
0: Wayne, what would you say are the biggest concerns
2: you're hearing from clients? So I I feel that this is a necessary step. I don't think people are really aware that... I I honestly don't think that builders... um, and consumers are necessarily aware of the impact that it's going to have. Um, and I don't think builders are really concerned about the cost. I think, I think what we need to do is we just need to imagine that in this transformation process uh, from gas to electricity, we really need the, the city to make sure they're more supportive. We need to make sure that they give support to their building inspectors in the field when we're building these houses, that these things are installed. Uh, that the builders understand how heat pumps work and just how all Mm -hmm. this electrification is going to affect the code. I think when you're in a city like Chicago where we have a a really robust built environment and people that have been working to maintain that environment on behalf of the city for a long time, it's wonderful to, to... to say, well, if we're going to change these things, that's great, we've passed this ordinance, but we need to support that. We need to give builders mm-hmm. uh, support in how to make this change. We need to give the inspectors knowledge base and continuing education to help them make that change. And 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 quite frankly, just increase the staffing around that to make sure that we could, we're ready for this transformation, what needs to happen.
0: Yeah, I'm still thinking it might be a challenge to sell that to some folks because I know that once you have a gas stove, there are a lot of people that are just stuck on their gas stove and they swear by it and think it's better and you can't sell them on electric.
2: You know, I I, uh, I encounter this all the time, I've, I've sold Dozens of houses that are what's termed net zero. So what what they do is they produce enough power to offset their actual usage, and they don't have gas lines. You know, the first one was really hard. You know, we had to convince somebody to give up a gas stove. But at the end of the day, look, I think consumer understanding that induction is a superior cooking appliance is starting to, to, to become common knowledge. Yeah, um, It's not something everybody knows yet, but once people learn about it, I don't think they really have an objection to it. But I, I do think cooking with gas is, is this marketing pitch that has stuck for generations. Oh, for sure.
0: I want to bring another voice into the conversation. Courtney Hansen is Deputy Director of People for Community Recovery. The group's working to ensure that people who are most impacted by environmental hazards, especially people in public housing, that they are included in the transition to a green energy infrastructure. Welcome, Courtney. Thanks for having me. Give us your impression of this ordinance.
3: Well, I think this ordinance is a step in the right direction. Certainly, we need to be addressing greenhouse gas emissions from buildings if we're going to stave off the worst impacts of climate change. Um, But from an environmental justice perspective, we really want to make sure that the benefits of these policies are going to folks who need them most. And as you said, this ordinance um, mostly affects new construction. So anyone who doesn't live um, or won't be living or buying or renting in a new construction building will be left out. And so what we really want to see is policies, not only that go further and don't make it optional, but mandatory for new buildings to electrify, but also that address our existing building stock so that lower income and environmental justice communities can access those benefits.
0: So you're, you're pushing for existing buildings to be included in this switch to, uh, to electric. Is, is this a policy issue, Courtney, or a real estate one? What do you think?
3: We think it's a policy issue. And I think um, the city knows that this is a priority. They said in their recent climate action plan that 69% of the city's emissions come from buildings. So they know they need to act on this. And in fact, last year, Mayor Lightfoot put together a task force To look at how to equitably decarbonize the city's building stock so essentially how do we transition our buildings to electric so we think there will be movement on this soon certainly it's inevitable that there will be movement if the city is going to reach the climate goals that they've set the question is really whether we can do it in a way that's equitable whether we bring community leaders that have been fighting for changes in their communities for years to the table And find solutions that don't just address climate, but also address things like health and indoor air quality, as well as um, energy affordability. We've seen a huge spike in gas prices over the last couple years, and that's a big challenge for our communities. So there's a real opportunity here at the policy level Mm -hmm. to make some important changes.
0: Wayne, what are your thoughts on how policy and real estate can work together?
2: Sure. So I, I really... I agree 100% with, um, the, with with what she just said. I mean, we, we need to um, make sure that decarbonization is addressed in all our communities and in all our building stock. And, and this is a great first step. It, it's a starting point. And I think that as we kind of look ahead and say, well, how do, how do we dovetail? Uh, the real estate economy and the Chicago's uh, low- to moderate-income neighborhoods, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the opportunity to decarbonize our economy is a huge job creator. Um, I, I think that if it's done with more carrots than sticks, it's going to happen in a way that everybody is aligned and, and trying to move forward. And I feel that um, we just have to be careful that when we do this, we we do it in a way that gives people incentives to make this transition and doesn't just penalize people. Um, I think if we if we make it a bunch, a series of penalties, you're going to hurt the neighborhoods and the real estate economy. And I think if you make it a series of incentives, I think people adopt it faster. I think we get to our climate goals faster and I think we improve our neighborhoods and and we don't leave people behind.
0: Yeah. Courtney, how else do you want to see the transition from a gas infrastructure include the needs of public housing residents in the city?
3: So one thing that we have been talking with the city about um, and how we approach policy is that the folks that are going to be most impacted need to be at the table when the policies are created, and they need to be directly involved in the implementation. And so what we're advocating for um, in the suite of decarbonization policies that we know are coming down the line, hopefully maybe even this year, is that there's a community accountability board that's part of the entire process Mm -hmm. so that leaders can really be engaged. Folks from public housing um, at the federal level and affordable housing at the city level, um, owners of affordable housing, um, those are all stakeholders that need to be involved. And I think Wayne is right. What we're hearing is that there has to be incentives Uh, For building owners, there needs to be resources and technical assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, Workforce is really important and a huge opportunity. And so there are a lot of things to consider. This is definitely not um, going to be an easy path, but we have to have all the voices at the table. Yeah.
0: What efforts are you seeing, Karen, throughout the city to, to retrofit buildings?
1: You know, absolutely. There are policy pieces and there are also programmatic pieces that are out there. And the the city actually has been putting some of their uh, additional budget in terms of recovery towards some specific things that are retrofit focused. There's some specific funding for affordable housing, um, there's some specific funding essentially to decarbonize some single family homes. So you do see some pockets of funding and programs in addition to these broader policy efforts. And and you need that combination. I mean, big picture, we're talking about how do you decarbonize overall a city? How do you Mm -hmm. decarbonize every home and every community? And that creates not just the climate benefits, but it creates the clean air benefits that are critical to full transition. So you're seeing it in multiple ways. Uh, Obviously, there's more to come, but these are steps in a pathway that is leading to decarb. The question is, how quickly?
0: This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic. It was edited and mixed by Meha Ahmed. If you enjoyed this interview and you want to hear more conversations like it, consider subscribing to the podcast. We've got tons of interviews covering the news, politics, the economy, arts and culture. Don't forget, give us a rating. That really helps other listeners find us. All right, that's it for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons and we'll see you tomorrow.